If I were to uh, ask <laughs> all of those here this morning, if I were to ask you, all those who are here this morning, it, um, to raise your hands if you've ever been hurt, don't do it, but if I were to ask that, <laughs> my guess is that every hand in this place would go up, um, including mine. We've all been hurt. We've all been wronged, right? I mean, as a pastor, a teacher, I can't begin to count the number of times that I have uh, sat with people in, in my office and hear the stories that they tell me of betrayal and, and heartbreak that have, I mean, completely wrecked me. People who have been wounded, people who have been mistreated, victimized. We all carry the weight of serious wrong being done to us. Um, I mean, I, I don't think you can live in this world um, very long without being, being hurt somewhere along the, line, along the way. And I got to tell you, you may have walked through the doors of this church today <laughs> um, carrying the weight of... Uh, Serious wrong that has been done to you this past week. Maybe uh, something's been done to you, um, uh, you know, this past year. Or maybe, maybe something's been done to you, seriously wronged you in the past year uh, or, or, or beyond that. And if that's your situation today, this message I, I, I want to share this morning is going to be, let me, let me tell you this real frankly, it's going to be hard for you to hear because it involves spiritual surgery. While surgery is never fun, the good news is that God wants to remove the poison from our hearts so that we live our lives with love and, and, and joy. And the surgery that we're going to talk about this morning, it's called forgiveness. Forgiveness. So I invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, um, where we'll find another one of Jesus' parables. We continue in our, our series called Unexpected Twist, a, a look at uh, the parables of Jesus. We're, we're doing that this summer. This morning, we're going to be looking at this parable. And, and the parable that Matthew tells us here, which, by the way, is only found in the Gospel of Matthew, this parable, it starts in verse 23. Matthew 18, verse 23. And it's given in response to a question that Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, asks him. So, before we get to the parable, let's start with Peter's question. Look with me at Peter's question. Matthew 18, verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Now, Peter asked Jesus um, a question I think most of us would ask, or maybe we've already asked, you know, Lord, how often must I forgive so-and-so? <laughs> I mean, they keep doing the same thing over and over and over. How often do I have to keep forgiving them? And then Peter, thinking that he is going to be very generous, you know, um, he says, well, do I forgive them as many as uh, seven times? Now, the reason that Peter's thinking he is being very gracious is because in that day, the Jewish rabbis, um, 
taught that all a person needed to do was to forgive a person three times. They sin against you, you forgive them. You, they sin against you, you forgive them. They sin against you, you, you forgive them. After that, they're dead to you. <laughs> You're done. You don't have to forgive them anymore. Um, so Peter here is, is uh, not only doubling down on, on the, 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 the popular teaching of that day, but he adds one more for, uh, you know, to be an extra generous. Uh, Jesus, do I, do I forgive up to seven times, he asks. Now, there's humor in uh, Jesus' response. I want you to see this. In verse 22, look what Jesus says. Jesus said to him, no, I, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. <laughs> um, uh, you know, Jesus not only is going beyond Peter's you know, generous offer of seven times, but he's going way beyond Peter's offer to 77 times. He exaggerates Peter's number. Now, you know, when I've read this parable before, and I'm very familiar with the parable, I'm guessing you are as well, I've always assumed that Jesus um, went to that level of absurdity to make a point. In other words, he was trying to make a point to Peter. says, Peter, listen, you're to forgive an unlimited number of times. That I always thought was, was, was Jesus' major point. But I've discovered recently, as I did some more study on this passage this past week, that there's, there's more to Jesus' response, I think. To see that, <laughs> to see the, the more, I, I think we need to go back to Genesis chapter 4. If you turn in your Bibles, you don't have to, but I'll read it for you. Genesis chapter 4, in, in verse 23 and 24, there's a man named Lamech. And um, Lamech says this. Lamech said to his wives, Adela and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold. Interesting. Lamech here is boasting that he's killed a man for wounding him, and now he promises that if someone even hurts him, um, he will seek revenge 77 times against anyone who, who uh, injures him. This became known as the law of Lamech. It's the idea that, you know, if anyone hurts me, um, then I'm going to make them pay. I'm going to seek revenge. And that's a natural response for us, isn't it? It's a natural response that when we get hurt, um, we want vengeance. We, we want to pay them back. Um, and what we're doing when we do that is we're following the law of Lamech. <laughs> um, but Christ in this passage in this parable, he's calling us to reverse that law. You see, when, when Jesus responds to Peter's question, I, I don't think he's all that concerned with the number of times Peter forgave his brother. It isn't about the number, <laughs> Jesus says. It's about forgiveness. It, it, it's a heart issue. Jesus is saying that in God's kingdom, forgiveness marks the lives of his followers. That's what he's saying. And to explain what that looks like, Jesus then tells them a story, a story about the kingdom of God. 
The story's about a man who owned a whole lot of, uh, owed a whole lot of money to uh, the king. So the king calls him in to his throne room to settle the account. And when the, when the uh, king makes his appearance, the servant who's standing before him dutifully bows. And just then an aide carries in um, a huge ledger book to the king, opens it to the page with the man's name, it appears up in the upper right-hand corner, and the king looks at the bottom line on that page, and he says, servant, it looks to me like you owe me a lot of money. Yes, sir. It says here, you owe me 10,000 talents. Yes, sir. I want my money. Yes, sir. I want my money now. Oh, yes, sir. I mean, I mean, wait, wait, no, sir. I, I, I don't have 10,000 talents, sir. The king then turns to the aide who brought in the book, and they begin discussion about selling the man and the man's wife and his children into slavery and disposing some of their personal property in order to recoup some of the uh, money from that huge debt that was owed him. And when the king turns back around, he finds the servant down on um, the stone floor on his knees in front of him. The servant looks up at the king and says, uh, uh, sir, ha have mercy on me. I'll pay you everything back. I give me a little more time. <laughs> you, you know what that king did? He did better than just give him a little more time. In fact, he reached out into that ledger book and he took hold of that page and he ripped that page out of that book and then he ripped that uh, page into shreds and he threw it up in the air and he turned to that servant who was on his knees and he said, I forgive you of your debt. You're now free and clear. Go in peace, he tells that servant. Can you imagine hearing those words? I mean, the utter ecstasy that man must have felt. I think the servant's tears just, just kind of immediately just dried up. And, and you got to believe that when he got up off his knees, his feet just it never touched that hard floor again. I mean, he must have just floated in the air as he left that king's palace. I mean, the man is off to, to freedom. <laughs> now, we might hope that that happened. But that's not the way the story goes, does it? I mean, this is where the twist comes in Jesus' story. Apparently, this man didn't float in the air <laughs> at all. He didn't even explode with ecstasy. No, he, he, he walked out of that um, palace, and he immediately finds another servant who owes him 100 denarii, which would be maybe $10,000 in today's currency, which, although it's not nothing, it can be repaid. It's repayable. But what's $10,000 in contrast to 10,000 talents, which would be about $50 million maybe in U.S. currency today? I mean, this guy had been forgiven a debt of $50 million, and then he goes out and he grabs another guy by the throat, demanding to be paid $10,000. Pay me what you owe me, he says. What happens next? Well, this fellow servant, he gets down on his knees and he pleads with this first man. And he uses the same words that this first servant had used with the, the king. Have patience with me and I'll pay you back. 
But unlike the king, this turkey refuses, doesn't he? He doesn't give his fellow servant any more time. Instead, he summons a police officer, says, hey, listen, this man owes me money. He's not paying me back. Uh, Take him off to jail. The crowd that had gathered and saw this take place, they didn't like what they saw and heard. And so they, they go to the king and they say, you wouldn't believe what just happened. The king then, he summons his servant back into his, his presence, into his throne room. And the servant comes in, and again, he, he, he bows dutifully. And the king asks him, hey, weren't you here just a while ago? Oh, oh, oh yes, sir. And if I remember correct, correctly, I, I had the ledger book open the page in which your name appears. And the bottom line of that page said that you owe me $50 million. Is that right? Yes, sir. Well, if I remember correctly, I, I, I told you that I wanted the money now. Yes, sir. You got down on your knees and you begged me for mercy. Do, do you remember doing that? Do you remember what I did? <laughs> I ripped that sheet out of that book and told you uh, you could go in, in peace. Now, what is this that I hear? what you did when you left this place? As soon as you left, you, you seized a, a, another man who owed you, what, what $10,000? After I'd forgiven you of a, a $50 million debt? Did you seize someone for $10,000 and have him thrown in jail? Is that right? Uh, uh, that's correct, sir. Hmm. Well, listen, I have some news for you. You know that jail cell where your buddy now sits? Yes, sir. Well, you know what? It happens to be a suite for two. Now you go and join your buddy in that cell, and you stay there until you can pay me back that $50 million. As far as we know, he's still there. That's Jesus' story. So what's that story tell us about forgiveness? Well, it tells us that in order to forgive, we must have an accurate view. Well, in fact, it tells us we have to have um, three accurate views. In order to forgive, it's essential that first we have an accurate view of ourselves. And we must remember who we are. Who are we, you and I, in in this parable? Well, we're the first servant, right? who was forgiven that immense debt. The disconnect in this parable is that in those, what, 30, 50 steps that this servant took to walk down those steps and out of that king's palace, he had forgotten what had just happened. (laughs) He forgot the, the debt that he owed was impossible to repay. I told you uh, it was about $50 million. Now, I presume that um, $50 million um, is a significant sum for most of us here, right? Uh, You know, um, but I didn't tell you that the sheer fact uh, was that in that day and age that nobody could have owed $50 million in the days of Jesus. Most historians believe that during Jesus' entire life, uh, lifetime, the entire wealth of the Roman Empire, catch this, the entire wealth of the Roman Empire was somewhere between four to 5,000 talents. In other words, 
the 10,000 talents that he owed that king was an enormous, unthinkable number. Kind of like our national debt. (laughs) Yet in the middle of this tale, Jesus has this uh, servant on his knees begging for a little more time. (laughs) Catch that? Begging for a little more time. See the absurdity here? Do you know how much little time um, this servant needs? <laughs> I mean, if, if, just think about it. Play with the numbers. So hopefully I got these right. If this guy makes $100 a day average without interest to pay back this $50 million debt, it would take 1,369 years to pay it back. Friends, I got to tell you, that's not just a little time. I mean, this debt... Basically, that Jesus is telling, it's impossible to repay in a thousand lifetimes. This guy was in way over his head. Yet the king forgave him. This guy walked out a free man. But he forgot. He forgot that everything he was at that moment was because of this forgiveness. See, you and I are like that servant. We too owe a debt, a debt to God which is impossible, impossible for us to repay. You might say, but Sutton, really, I mean, is my debt really that extreme before God? Take a moment, think about it. The Bible says that every moral failure of every day of our lives was a sin against a holy, holy, holy God. Every moral failure, whether it was a big and embarrassing sin that we hope our friends, our kids, they never find out about it, (laughs) or whether it was one of those little sins, you know, that nobody even blinks at anymore. Every one of those million failures, wrong thoughts, wrong words, wrong actions was an offense to our holy God. So yes, our debt to God is really that extreme and even beyond that. Our debt would be impossible for us to pay even in a thousand lifetimes. Yet here we are, (laughs) right? Free, free because of what God has done for us on, on the cross. Jesus Christ, God himself dying on that cross for every one of our sins. Have you stopped and, and, and really thought about the great debt that you've been forgiven? It's essential that we have an accurate view of who we are, that everything we are as believers in Christ is because of God's forgiveness. Second, to be able to forgive, we must have an accurate view of the offender. See, all this first servant sees when he walks out of that king's palace is this guy who owes him something. All he sees is the offense. He doesn't see the the amount, uh, the paltry size of the debt, just the fact that this guy, um, you know, has sinned against him. What should he see? (laughs) Well, he should see this guy was a, a lot like him. He should see this guy as a fellow servant. He should see that this this fellow servant's debt is so small, um, 
It's imperceptible compared to the amount of what he had owed the king. He should see a guy who is in need of forgiveness. See, when you look around at those who have injured you, instead of focusing on the hurt, you need to focus on the fact that they're a lot like you. That they, like you, they also need forgiveness. And the fact that their offense towards you, no matter how painful, no matter how hurtful, no matter how grievous, is truly nothing compared to your offense towards God. Third, in order to forgive, it's essential that we have an accurate view of God. In this parable, you catch this, God is the king, right? (laughs) And he's passionate about forgiveness. To God, forgiveness is not some little thing off in in the corner of the Christian experience. No, it's not optional. It's a major deal. Forgiveness is 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 a major deal. It is one of the centerpieces of the community of the forgiving king. In fact, he's so passionate about forgiveness that God not only is the one extending forgiveness, he is also expecting forgiveness. Do you know what's always bothered me about this, uh, this story here, this parable? It's the fact that this king seems to have changed his mind. Has that ever bothered you? He appears to revoke his forgiveness. And I've always thought, you know, that if you forgive somebody, that, that that's it. You can't say to me in the morning, listen, I forgive you, and this afternoon give me a call on the phone and say, nope, I don't forgive you. I've changed my mind. (laughs) I mean, what's this deal with this king who forgave $50 million and then took that forgiveness back? I mean, what's going on here? Well, first of all, we have to remember this is a parable. It's, It's not an allegory. So we have to give Jesus here some poetic license. But second, we have to see that this story, this story is really not about the king who takes back his forgiveness, but it's about a servant who was offered forgiveness of $50 million, but did not receive it. Do you know why we know that? Because, listen, if he had truly received forgiveness, um, what took place immediately outside the palace, uh, you know, when he ran into that other servant would never have happened. Even if the second servant came up and said, hey, listen, I owe you 10,000 bucks. I mean, this first servant would have said, respond, oh, (laughs) what 10,000 bucks? Let me put it this way. Imagine this past week you bought a ticket for the Mega Millions uh, uh, Powerball Lottery, okay? Um, You know, you bought it. You didn't really expect to win. Uh, now it's Sunday morning, and uh, you're here at church, and uh, we are this morning, let's say, uh, passing out the plate. Now, we haven't done that for a long while, but we're going to pass out the plate this morning and take a special offering. Um, and a person next to you nudges you and, and says, hey, listen, I forgot my money. Would, would you lend me 100 bucks? I'll drop I'll buy later at your place, and I'll, I'll pay you back. You reach into your wallet, and to your surprise, you actually have $100. <laughs> And and so you give it to him. Now it's Monday morning, okay? And he didn't bring the $100 back. Didn't bring it by your place. 
So about 8 o'clock in the morning, uh, you, you kind of wait a little bit, and you, you check your uh, lottery ticket, and you realize that you've just matched the right numbers. <laughs> uh, incredible. You've just won the Mega Million Powerball Lottery of $790 million. That's what it is currently. I looked it up. Um, imagine what you're feeling. Think how your eyes must be just doing circles in both directions. I mean, you're so ecstatic. I mean, your feet probably don't even touch the ground. Now, is it possible for you to remember as you double-check your ticket, hey, you know what, this other guy, he, he borrowed $100 from me yesterday and failed to pay me back? I mean, are you going to call him on the phone and say, hey, don't, uh, don't forget, you owe me $100. I need you to bring it by today. No way. It's impossible. See, the man in the parable, the problem is he never received the gracious forgiveness that was offered to him. That's what this story is about. It's about a servant who was offered forgiveness but did not accept it. And that's why he had his fellow servant thrown into prison. That's why the king ends up changing his mind and throwing him into prison. And that's why Jesus, at the very end of this story, says, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Friends, God is passionate about forgiveness. Don't miss this. In fact, it is such a burning passion of God that the Heavenly Father says, it's not enough that my children be the forgiven ones, they must also be the forgiving ones. As one person put it, he says, forgiven people forgive because they've experienced the gracious forgiveness of God. It's a characteristic of those who are genuinely his. Now, I have to admit that sitting here, you know, on a nice, beautiful Sunday morning, you know, in church, you know, where everything is beautiful and wonderful, you know, that this all sounds great, doesn't it? But you go back home, and you go back in your workplace, you go back in your neighborhood, and this issue of forgiveness <laughs> gets all mixed up. So we need to take a few moments uh, and clarify what forgiveness is not and what forgiveness is. First of all, let me clarify, forgiveness is not forgetting. I mean, forgiveness is hard. Forgetting is easy. <laughs> I forget where I place my glasses uh, all the time, where I place my cell phone, you know, put it down, you know. You need no miracle of grace in order to forget. All you need is a bad memory. Forgiving is very different. I may still remember the hurt even if I've forgiven somebody. You say, but Sutton, doesn't Jeremiah say, God will remember our sins no more? Yes, but listen, that doesn't mean God has amnesia. It means God feels about us the way that he would feel if he had forgotten. And here's the key. We can find the power through the Holy Spirit to forgive what we still remember. Second, forgiving is not excusing. We all need a, a lot of excusing for the, you know, the dumb things that we do, don't we? We excuse small children for misbehaving in the grocery store, and we, 
we excuse expected fathers for breaking the speed limit as they're trying to get their pregnant wives to the hospital, right? Um, excusing is easy. When an action is excusable, it doesn't require forgiveness. Third, forgiveness is not relieving the person of responsibility. A person shouldn't be off the hook from his or her responsibilities just because you've chosen to forgive them. For example, a businesswoman may be forgiven for placing her business in financial ruin with debt, but she still should be responsible for paying off that debt. A former husband may be forgiven for destroying his marriage through uh, uh, adultery, but he should still pay child support to his former wife. Forgiveness doesn't eradicate responsibility. It's not unloving to hold someone accountable. Oftentimes, in fact, accountability is the most loving thing you can do because it could lead to repentance. Fourth, let me give you one more. Forgiveness is not reconciling. Reconciliation is always best case scenario that happens after people, you know, they, they hurt each other and then they sit down and talk it out and take responsibility and apologize. But listen, you can forgive without the relationship being restored, especially if the experience was a life-shattering, um, trust-busting um, e event that took place. C.S. Lewis said he finally forgave the schoolmaster who abused both he and his brother, but it was 30 years after the schoolmaster died. For Lewis, reconciliation was impossible because reconciliation requires rebuilding of trust and good faith on the part of both parties. So you say, well, what is forgiveness? Well, forgiveness is a decision. It's an, an act of the will by the grace of God. You may find yourself saying, this person really hurt me, you know? And I, and I want to forgive them. Um, Lord, please give me the grace to do that. You may say, um, that, that person took that thing from me. Lord, that was a big loss, but, but Lord, give me the, the mercy to forgive them. To forgive is an act of the will to reverse the law of Lamech. You let go of the desire for vengeance. Rachel Din Hollander, uh, Hollander, a Christian and lawyer, was the first victim to publicly accuse Larry Nasser, the former USA gymnastics team doctor, the first to publicly accuse Larry Nasser of abuse. In an interview with Christianity Today back in January of 2018, Rachel said this about what it meant for her to forgive Larry Nasser. It means that I trust in God's justice and I release bitterness and anger and a desire for personal vengeance. It doesn't mean that I minimize or mitigate, or excuse what he has done. It does not mean that I pursue justice on earth any less zealously. It simply means that I release personal vengeance against him, and I trust God's judge, uh, justice, whether he choose to met that out purely uh, eternally, or both in heaven and on earth. Friends, <laughs> Forgiving someone's not easy. And forgiveness doesn't happen overnight. 
It takes time, sometimes a lot of it. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, you begin to wish that person well and you continue to mine the immeasurable depth of God's love and forgiveness of you. You see the other person as a fallen creature who needs grace just like you. You see the other individual as someone who God loves just as God loves you. You hope that their life and their relationship with God is good just as you hope it is for yourself. Yes, there will be backslidden moments. And I got to tell you, I speak as an expert here. <laughs> you know, backslidden moments when you like to hear that person who has hurt you has gone bald or, or uh, you know, the IRS is after them. <laughs> but listen, as you continue to allow God to work in your heart, those thoughts of revenge and vengeance, they diminish And the trajectory of your heart starts to head in the right direction because God's grace is at work in your life. It's transforming you, and you will align your life with the way that God's kingdom operates. When it comes to life and relationships, there are two paths you can go down. We can choose the law of Lamech, (laughs) the law of revenge, which poisons the heart and leads to death, or we can choose Jesus' call to forgiveness that leads to life. God is passionate about forgiveness. And if his grace takes root in our hearts, we will, by the power of the Holy Spirit, forgive those who have hurt us because forgiven people forgive. If you are a forgiven one, you must also be a forgiving one. It's a characteristic of those who are genuinely his. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. It's going to take prayer. It's going to take spiritual work. It's going to take support and community to, to, to talk to and work through and pray with you through. It will probably take some time, but we'll get there. So... Listen, let's just try it out, just for the fun of it. We've been summoned into the inner chamber of the king, and when the king comes out, he's carrying this huge ledger book, and he plops it on the table in front of him, and he opens it up, and he finds the page where your name or my name is up in the top right-hand corner. The king looks at the bottom line on that page, and he says to you, to me, he says, it says here, you... You owe me a lot of money. In fact, is this figure right? It says you owe me a million, I mean a zillion dollars. Is that correct? And every last one of us in this room must answer, that's correct, sir. Indeed, I'm heavily in debt. Even a a thousand years, a lifetime, would not suffice to repay my debt. And do you know what the king does? (laughs) He takes that sheet with your name and my name on it, and he takes that and he rips it out of that book. And he rips that sheet into, into shreds, and he looks down at us and he says, I forgive you of your debt. You are now free and clear. Go in peace. Do you know what that means 
to those of us who can receive his forgiveness? It means a lot of things. But one of the things it means is that we will be able to forgive those who have hurt us. Our imperfect spouse, our imperfect parents, that imperfect relative, an imperfect coworker, an imperfect church member, <laughs> maybe even that imperfect pastor. Nobody's going to have to tell us how to act. Nobody's going to have to tell us what to do when we walk out of that king's palace. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your grace, what you did on the cross for each one of us, that you tore that sheet out of that ledger book and you ripped it up and you said, go in peace. You're now clean. You're now forgiven. Lord, might we take that to heart. God, might you give us through your Holy Spirit the power, the strength, to forgive those who have hurt us. Lord, might we not only be the forgiven ones, but might we be the forgiving ones. In your son's precious name, amen.